As I mentioned last week, this show is proudly sponsored by Funky Trunks, one of the best brands in swimming you will find for training and racing togs, equipment, etc. Make sure you check out their latest ranges online at funkytrunks.com or follow them on Instagram for all the latest sales and updates. We'll be doing some exciting prize giveaways over the next few weeks, so make sure you stay tuned on our Off The Blocks Facebook and Instagram pages for how to win. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Van der Noten's hand. But the signature of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats, Dots in the black hats, and Dots has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Dots in front, Dots in hall, Dots goes in. Joining us again this week is a woman who smashed it on last week's show. Ratings were through the roof, so we've got her on again. This time to go through life after swimming and all of her accomplishments outside of the pool. Thanks again for coming on. It's Libby Trickett. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Happy to have you on again, mate. Um, now, I didn't really mention this on the first show of how nervous I was coming to meet you and interview you because I was such a big admirer of your career. Oh, you're so sorry. So did that show through? How did I go? I mean, did the interview go all right or did I keep it together? Oh, look, you're doing much smoother this time. <laughs> no, no, no. I was... We're going to edit that out. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, you know, it was such a, you know, it's so nice to talk about my swimming career because you do feel a lot of the time like you're a washed up old hag. <laughs> but no, it was yeah. absolutely a pleasure to talk to you and I'm excited about this week. Now, last week on the show, we ended it with 2012 London Olympics. Not long after that, in 2013, you retired for the second time. Was it more or less difficult the second time around? Um, in some ways, it was completely taken out of my hands, um, which I think was probably a good thing. So post-London and with the results there, I had every intention of going to a fourth Olympics. I, the dream was to go to Rio. Yeah. Um, but not long after, like I basically returned to training almost immediately after London. Um, and things were going okay. Um, but then I had a quite significant injury. Um, I did in the gym. Um, it was a full scapholunate tear, um, in my wrist which required a wrist reconstruction, which at the time I had no idea that they did wrist reconstructions. News to me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I kind of had this idea that, well, I was told by doctors that it would be a three-month recovery period, which was not ideal after already spending almost a year out of the water at that stage, Um, you know, at the age of 27. So I kind of um, was trying to get back and trying to get back, um, but... Yeah, I sort of realised probably pretty quickly that it wasn't going to be possible, um, which was on one level really sad because you don't want the decision to be taken out of your hands. Yeah. But by the same token, I I think it was probably a good thing because if left to my own devices, I don't know if I would have known when to quit otherwise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have kept going into oblivion yeah. and, you know, just 
become like Wally Lewis going to the Gold Coast Sea Eagles, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the tail end of your career kind How of thing. dare you? He's I, the know, king. I know, sorry. Oh, no. As a, you know, true Queensland, I shouldn't bag Wally, so but, but do you know Wally's what I mean? I listening to this podcast. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I doubt he is a big listener to Off the Blocks. <laughs> Um, a lot of athletes in all sports find it hard transitioning from being an elite athlete into normal life. Mm. And I guess in a way, and we touched on this in the first episode, you lose your identity. Mm. You hear so many stories, especially of rugby league stars, etc., yeah. um, doing it tough after they retire. What was life like for you after swimming? Um, so I was really glad that I had the experience in 2010 where I was properly retired and, you know, it was really confronting and go through that really intense loss of identity and I think that prepared me a lot better for life after swimming the second time around um it was still hard I think and you know five years in I probably still am challenged um in some ways because swimming was such a love of mine like it was something that um you know that I was incredibly passionate about I was really good at um, you know, I went from being the, the best in the world at the age of 23 to what do you do yeah. <laughs> <laughs> after life, after swimming? Yeah. And, you know, at the age of 27, I went into my first office job, which was incredibly confronting, not only physically, because you go from being incredibly active, training 35 hours a week to sitting eight hours a day. The things that that can do to your body is remarkable and in a bad way not in a yeah, good yeah, way yeah. um you know I had an incredibly bad back um all of these different physical challenges and then you're just trying to navigate life in the office and mm. and, and you're not that, the world champion and I'm not I've, I've gone from the world champion yeah. you know one of the best in the world to nobody yeah. um to to somebody has to ask if it's okay if I take my lunch <laughs> or, or you know when can I go to the bathroom oh wait I can just decide that that's a thing I can decide now um yeah so it's pretty it was pretty confronting and I think you know just trying to navigate and find something that you love and find something that you're passionate about because that's something that I probably really miss um still from swimming do you have any advice for athletes that may be thinking about retirement or who are currently retired and going through that transitional period? Yeah, I think um, the biggest uh, piece of advice that I would give is really do your very best to try and find a passion outside of your sport um, while you're competing. While you're still going. Yeah, totally. And, you know, for me, I was really lucky. I could completely focus on my sport and I think that was one of the reasons that I was able to be successful is because I didn't have to have a part-time job or a full-time job um I did dabble in uh in education like going to university and doing that part-time but I never really focused on on, I, I never placed a value on it as a transition into something in the real world um it was more just to feel balanced in my swimming um so as best as you can because you know you only have this finite amount of time in the sport um during that period of time try and find something that you enjoy um that piques your interest and um either do study in it or um get work experience um do internships if you can uh i mean it's it, it can be really difficult with the structure of a swimming season but um I think just getting exposure to life in an office <laughs> yeah. so it's not completely new and foreign to you um I think 
will help with that transition. Now, you and your husband, Luke, have two beautiful daughters, Poppy, who is two, yes. turning three. Yes. Um, and new little bubba, Edwina, born a couple of months ago. How is Libby the mum different from Libby the swimmer? <laughs> um, I think the biggest difference, two big differences. I'm much, much more patient than I ever dreamt I could be. <laughs> um, I never, I was never patient as an athlete. Um, even though in swimming you kind of have to be patient because you get like opportunities every four years to do certain things. But um, yeah, I was extraordinarily impatient as an athlete um, and much more selfless because as an athlete, again, you can be so selfish and so self-centered and it's all about you and what you're trying to achieve and everybody working with you is trying to achieve your goal um, and then all of a sudden you have these little squishy bag of bones who dictates exactly what they need when they need it. And that was really confronting for me for a really long time. Um, but particularly second time around, uh, you've accepted that in your life a yeah. lot easier, a lot better. And you realise that there are very particular seasons as um, a mother and a, as parents and they challenge you in ways that you never dreamt was possible. Um, but they add such a vibrant richness to your life that you can't imagine life without them. The, did the terrible twos come along? That <laughs> you, was a, I didn't write that down, but I just looked at that. She's two, eh? Yeah. You know what? Um, Poppy was a terrible baby you know how they talk about good babies and bad babies yeah. and I don't like to think of babies like that but you know in the very general term a good baby is one who sleeps Poppy did not sleep as a baby um, she went through a period of time between four months and about nine months where she was waking every 45 minutes overnight um, so that was really hard <laughs> um, very challenging again for my mental health um, but I you know what, right now is like this beautiful patch of time and I don't know how long it'll last because I'm sure it'll change. <laughs> She'll probably become a three-nager yeah. as soon as she turns three, but she's at this most gorgeous period of time where you can communicate to her, you can actually have conversations, you can see her learning um, and that's just the best fun. I, I, I've always probably thought that I'd be a better parent to a child than a parent to a baby um, because you can engage with them, you can play with them, um, whereas little squishy babies, you just kind of, they're beautiful and that's why you keep them around, but otherwise they're just screaming at you. Well, Eddie wasn't. I mean, no. People wouldn't have known this, but in the first episode, she was here the whole time. Yeah. They've known. Yeah, that's exactly right. She's pretty good as long as she's on you. <laughs> But she is. She, she's doing a lot better than, than Poppy, <laughs> that's for sure. Now, speaking of Eddie, we saw uh, yesterday on Instagram that she went for a swim. How important for you is swimming lessons for kids? Massive. Uh, and, you know, I'm a little bit lame. Like, I, I acknowledge that probably starting them at seven, I think Poppy was eight weeks when I started her and Eddie's seven weeks. Um, I understand that's probably very early for a lot of parents. Uh, for me, uh, particularly in the first few weeks, it's really important to have activities, so you're kind of getting out of the house. And for me, swimming is such a joy. Yeah. Um, being in the water is something that I really love, and I want to share that with my children, with my girls. And, 
you know, to see how far Poppy's come from eight weeks old to now two and a half, she loves the water. She gets a real joy from it. She's confident. She's not scared. And we're really um, reaping the benefits, I think, of starting them so early. And so that was exactly the reason <laughs> towards putting Eddie in so early. Is just It's something that I really love and enjoy. And to be able to share that with my girls, uh, yeah, that's one of the best parts of parenthood, I think, that you can can do and again it's it really is all about water safety at this age you know the should highest it be compulsory do you think i think so i i think it should be compulsory at schools for sure because uh, you know i understand that swimming lessons can be really expensive um for a lot of um, families and that's really challenging so definitely it should be mandatory at schools for sure but the highest rate of drownings happens in that zero to five age bracket and so if you can uh, make it that little bit less likely that that could happen. I mean, the water safety thing is, without a doubt, so important, especially in Australia. Yeah, surrounded <laughs> we're surrounded, by water. Yeah, surrounded by water, surrounded by beaches. To truly enjoy this amazing, beautiful country that we live in, uh, yeah, it was so important for me to do that very early. Switching gears now to work life. Yes. And whilst you're on maternity leave at the moment, you are on radio up here in Brisbane on Triple M. Yes. In the afternoons, Luke Bradman and Dobbo are with you. How did you go from being in the pool to being on radio? Good question. <laughs> very good question. So my very first job out of, um, out of swimming the second time around was uh, in a marketing role in a technology company. And uh, it was good. <laughs> um, I didn't have any real skills um, or knowledge about technology Uh, it was an amazing opportunity I was actually with them for about three years so uh, on and off I had Poppy during that time Um, so it was uh, yeah it was kind of an interesting random opportunity that kind of came to um, to the fore so uh, I got an opportunity to do a fill-in maternity role um, on a, a station called Hit 105 here in Brisbane. Um, she was on uh, Abby uh, was on maternity leave for about six weeks, and so I somehow managed to get Jag that. Jag the role. Jag the role. Did breakfast radio for for six weeks, and I loved it. I don't know what it is about the the medium of radio, but. You get to you get to talk to people really quickly. Like the audience who's listening gets to engage in the conversation, and I kind of really enjoy that side of things. But also, compared to television, you don't have to look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Especially at what time? Six a.m. I know. Well, yeah, I was getting into the office at about four thirty at that stage um, during that period of time. So you can turn up in your trackies, and you know that's so fine. Uh, oh, with social media, it makes it a bit more difficult because a lot of stuff is. Put on uh, yeah, the social media cameras. In I there know now and exactly. Filmed. Yeah, exactly. So um, anyway, I just kind of really, really enjoyed it. It was fun. It plays to the side of my personality that is really lighthearted and playful, and cheeky, and all of those sorts of things. And I really enjoyed that. Um, but it wasn't until um, sort of the end of two thousand and sixteen that another opportunity became available with the drive show on Triple M. Uh, and, yeah, I tested for it 
about 12 times, <laughs> I think. Um, and yeah, somehow got the opportunity and we started uh, in February last year. And it's it's been uh, such a, a kind of roller coaster ride in lots of ways because, again, I've had no real experience other than that sort of six-week maternity leave fill-in uh, in radio and I've had to learn everything from scratch. Uh, and the guys that I've, I've gotten to work with, are they're awesome you know completely different personalities come from completely different walks of life um to to me and my background um but it's been really fun it's yeah it is a, it's a challenging industry in some ways yeah. but um and yeah it's ultimately we're just kind of chatting for three <laughs> hours on air and that's yeah I, I kind of really I love that about my job yeah now, obviously, I'm just starting out here in the podcast gig myself, and in no way, shape, or form am I a professional. Um, you've been on radio now for a little bit. What tips can you give me to try and help off the blocks be the number one <laughs> swimming podcast? Dude, in I've, been, I've been on radio for 12 months. I know nothing. <laughs> you know more than me. No, you're doing so well. Uh, it's, you know, seeing you do what you're doing, I think is absolutely awesome because it's obviously something that you're passionate about and, you know, swimming is still something that I'm incredibly passionate yeah. about. So the fact that you're trying to promote the sport um, outside of those main key areas of the year that people actually get interested in swimming exactly. again, yeah. um, no, I think it's really awesome. And you're doing a great job. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> Money's you've, under... you've pressed record, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> the money's in the mail. That's um, the Commonwealth Games down on the Gold Coast wrapped up over last weekend. And before we get to the swimming part of it, mm. so much was made of our athletes not being allowed in the stadium for the closing ceremony to celebrate. Joanna Griggs and Basil verbalised their mm. disappointments on the Channel 7 coverage, ripping into the organisers at the Games. What did you think of it all? I, I mean, I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly with Jo uh, and what she said in that uh, very powerful because, you know, very you, passionate. You're so passionate and, you know, usually in that particular role as a commentator and a host broadcaster, you uh, a rights holder, I should say, you know, normally you probably toe the line a little bit more, but she was so passionate and I think she was saying exactly what so many people around Australia were so disappointed about. Like, for me, particularly the fact that Kurt Fernley was carrying the flag. Yeah. Um the Commonwealth Games are known as the inclusive games, as the friendly games. And he made so many powerful comments and speeches and had these amazing interviews about the inclusiveness. And for him not to have that moment uh, for the viewers of Australia and particularly for young kids who have disabilities who might think about getting into sport that might change the course of their lives. To not have that moment to see him come out with the Australian flag, I think was really disappointing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for the rest of the Australian team who... Yeah, I mean, we topped the medal tally by a mile, um, which we, you know, tend to do in the Commonwealth yeah. Games. But, you know, to be able to celebrate that with them and for the athletes to be able to celebrate um, in their the the finish of their home games and to be acknowledged by not only the crowd that was at the stadium but by the viewers watching from around yeah. Australia. I mean you got that opportunity in Melbourne 2006. Yeah. yeah definitely and it's really powerful especially with the home games you know the crowd's there to celebrate the Australian team like we're celebrating all the teams yeah. but really we're focused on the Australian team so 
Yeah, it, it was really disappointing, and I think it was. I think more than enough has been said at the fact that it, they got it wrong, and I think they've acknowledged that yeah, now, yeah. and they had to <laughs> really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was kind of a bit of a sour note to finish the games on, which otherwise was exceptional. So we touched on there the, the para guys, and one of the highlights for me was the integration of the able bodies yep. with the para athletes. Is that something you'd like to see perhaps brought into an Olympic Games? I would love to see it. I don't know how they would do it because I think it would uh, the the difficulty with the Commonwealth Games for the para athletes is that they're more showcase events, so not every classification is there, not every event is there. There were swimmers swimming up classification. Exactly. So they don't. Not every para athlete gets the opportunity to race. So. Um, if they were to do it, I would want to see them doing it uh, in a fair way. In in a way that is actually properly inclusive of all of the classifications, of all of the athletes, and all of the events. So I don't know how they would manage that, but definitely, if they were able to work out a way to fundamentally and logically plan that and work that out, that would be amazing. How did you rate the performances of our Aussie swimmers? Um. I mean, overall, there was some exceptional performances. I mean, Ariane Titmus was, I mean, go four double O in the 400 freestyle was just awesome. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, she's definitely going to be one to watch in the years to come because I think she's just going to go from strength to strength. Um, uh, Kate Campbell, 51 double O in the relay was out of this world. Um, and then to have Bronte win the Hunter Freestyle in a 52-2 was just awesome. And I think she went 51-5 in the 4x1 medley relay. Yeah. So, I mean, those girls are just... I, I mean, it's hard to put into words <laughs> um, how talented they are. I think um, Emma McKeon is another... She's just such a strong competitor. I think she probably would have been disappointed with a few of the times yeah. and maybe a few of the outcomes, but, I mean her program was so heavy and so loaded and to, to have her walk away with so many medals was really awesome. She's very talented too. I think we know her talent will shine through. She'll have a, a really big meet coming up, I think. I hope so. Yeah, I really hope so. And I think she's probably getting to an age now and an age and experience where she will be able to apply it really well. Yeah. So I think we will see big things from her, even though she's kind of been on the team for the last few years yeah. as well. But you forget that, you know, it's not an overnight success for a lot of these athletes. And Mitch Larkin, I mean, he was amazing. Um, and it's really exciting to see him... Come back into form. Exactly right, exactly right. Did you keep a close eye on your pet events, the 50, the 100 and the 100 fly? Of course I did. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? Of course I did. Uh, they're my favourite ones to watch. Yeah. Uh, it's You're saying it's not the 1500? <laughs> Look, it's great. You know, Jack Jack did great in that event, which was awesome to see. Um, it's not necessarily my favourite to watch because I, well, I mean, I'm a sprinter, right? So I have a very short attention span. <laughs> I couldn't imagine swimming that, let alone watching it. So um, no offence to the distance, guys. You're amazing. Um, but, yeah, no, I... I still get that tickle of competitiveness. I still yeah. get that, um, you know, shortness of breath, breath that, that uh, adrenaline rush um, that I would get before I would race, um, watching those, particularly those races, um, or to, you know, watch the guys that I was close to still coming through. But, yeah, it's, um, 
yeah, it's hard because they're obviously exceptional athletes and going really, really fast. <laughs> um, but there's also, I, I think I was trying to compare like uh, times, particularly with the 50 freestyle. And at the Commonwealth Games, you know, the top guys are excellent, but n- there's not necessarily the yeah. depth that you yeah. see at the World Championships or the Olympic yeah, it's Games. It's pretty easy to get through to the final. Exactly, exactly right. Um, not necessarily to win, but to the, get to the final, it's a lot easier. But uh, yeah, so I kind of go, hmm. Maybe if I went, you know, <laughs> this time, then I could potentially make a final or <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. But, yeah, it's... Um, I was going to ask them because I spoke to Daniel Tranter last week and he was saying he was keenly watching the 200 IM because he still held the games record oh, at that stage, right. which yes. did eventually go it on did. the night. Yep. Do you watch and just put your think of your PBs there and just go, oh, where, where would that fit in that? Totally. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> But but as well, you know, not necessarily even my very best times, but like the 50 freestyle, I think to make it was 25 or just under 25 seconds, which, you know, I was doing it 18 (laughs) or something like that. So you kind of go, oh, maybe I could get back to that fast. Um, I think you got a silver. If you swam, you'll oh, go your silver. There you go. Um, yes, I'm definitely not capable of that anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I um, I think more than anything it makes me want to get into master swimming, to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> um, again, Kate Campbell looked strong throughout the meet mm. in the 50 free, 50 fly, impressively just swam past the world record. Amazing. In the 4x100 freestyle relay. But similar to Rio... Just couldn't quite get it done in the 100 freestyle with her sister Bronte getting the better of her there and getting gold just ahead of her. Yeah. Is that just nerves, do you think? Or, I mean, have you experienced something similar where other events in the meet are going really well, but there's just that one event that you just can't quite nail? Totally. Um, And, I mean, people definitely um, spoke about, particularly for Kate, having a slightly heavier workload with the 50 butterfly in there. And obviously the Commonwealth Games is a more condensed program compared to a world championships or an Olympic games over eight days. It was six days at the Commonwealth games. So those factors can definitely play a part. I mean, having her go 51 double zero in the first night of competition and then to come second in a 52 six seems like quite a large discrepancy. So you wonder if there was other things at play. Um, the Kate is such an awesome competitor. I, I compare her to Katie Ledecky. I think she's an outlier yeah, yeah. in terms of talent. She's a superstar. And I feel like for Kate, her biggest competitor, her biggest um, challenger is herself. And when she gets it right, she's out of this world. 51 double zero, yeah. zero is out of this world fast. Like I can't even comprehend that. But what Bronte has that Kate doesn't necessarily have is that absolute bulldog racing instinct. And that comes from years of coming second. Yeah. Years of disappointment. Not disappointment because coming second yeah, shouldn't be yeah. disappointed. But it's the underdog mentality. The underdog. And she drives and drives and drives. Whereas if I felt like, and you know, this is me purely speculating yeah. and putting my opinion on things, um, <laughs> But I felt like, um, was it Taylor Ruck who came third in that event? Yeah. She was went out really fast. She had went an amazing out, event too. She had oh, a very big meet. Incredible. The Canadian, she's amazing, amazing young talent coming through. And um, we're going to see big things from her, I think, in the coming years. Oh, yeah. But I felt like she, she took it out very fast. 
And I think maybe, because I know I've experienced this in my races, if Jody Henry was right there with me at the 50-metre mark, I was, I was done because I felt like I knew that her back-end speed was exceptional. So that would always be playing in my mind. And you th- if you're thinking about things like that in a race... And you're not on your race plan. You're not in your race plan, yeah. then it doesn't matter what anyone else does. You're, you've beaten yourself. And I've, I've kind of got that feeling that that might have happened with Kate. Yeah. I feel like Taylor was quite, quite close to her at the 50-metre mark and that might have stressed her out a little bit. And so that affected how hard she went out and her stroke rate, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we saw that at the back end of that, that race because the, the athlete that we saw in the 4x1 freestyle relay that swam over that world record, was she, she, was, yeah. she, she was coming home strong. Yeah. Um, whereas the athlete that we saw in the 100 metres freestyle final was not the same. She, she really deteriorated in the last final stages and that's where Bronte just took the opportunity. Yeah. And, you know, did a personal best time, which was awesome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a very fast time. Yeah, amazing. And that's that really bulldog um, racing mentality. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I guess Australians have that sort of underdog mentality as well. So I think yeah. we all sort of got behind Bronte at that stage. Not that we were against Kate. No, gosh, to no. to see Bronte get up and to have that, you know, sort of empathy, I, I guess. I can't imagine how challenging it must be to navigate that relationship as sisters and as, you know, the sort of normal being Kate winning and Bronte coming second and then to have re- reverse the roles, I can't imagine how difficult that can be because, you know, Bronte has every right to celebrate and that's a wonderful achievement for her. And I'm sure Kate is extraordinarily happy yeah. for Bronte, but as an athlete and, you know, t- taking the relationship out of it, to be beaten by a rival... Uh, it's so hard. Yeah. I couldn't imagine having to navigate that. But they've been doing it for years and, you know, they do an amazing job. And I really believe they're exceptional role models for Australia and for swimming. Yeah, Definitely um, good sports too with the way really, they handle things. Really good sports. But um, I, for me, Kate is her biggest challenger is herself. And I think Rio was one experience and I think she saw how um, challenging the mental game can be for her. And I think we saw, I think on some level we saw that again Again. at the Gold Coast. But I think that this could be something that just spurs her on for Tokyo and hopefully allows her to to really thrive and and to achieve all that she's dreaming of. And to sort of, I guess, fulfil her potential, which is that 51. Oh, 100%. Easy, yeah, for sure. I mean... Sarah Sostrom, who currently holds the world record, like that 51.7 mark is just so doable for Kate and she just needs to believe it. And like I said, she's an outlier in terms of talent, in my opinion. Emily Seabong openly spoke through the game saying that she felt media weren't happy with her performance when she came second in the 100 back, which... uh, She didn't get the gold, which Mm. then led to her swim in the 200 back. She got third. You were a swimmer that went into meets as favourite for gold. Mm. Do Is the public and the media put too much pressure on athletes to win? Or if you're ranked faster, should you be expected to win? Um, it's a, probably a combination. Um, we as athletes need to uh, handle the pressure and the expectation. 
and that only comes with experience. And, you know, I, in leading into 2004, I was the favourite. I was the world record holder in the 100 freestyle and missed the final, um, which was incredibly challenging because, you know, although it was my first Olympics and at the time, initially, it wasn't my expectation to win the gold medal, but I became the world record holder and therefore your role changes yeah. in the public eye. So naturally people assume that I'm the favourite to win it, even though Jody Henry was 0.1 of a second behind me. Um, she kind of became the underdog or the yeah, sort of yeah. second in line and so didn't receive as much pressure. I, I mean, I say that for, that's from my experience, um, whereas I felt like I copped the full experience uh, of being the favourite. And it got to me, you know, and I... I started to think that I needed to win and otherwise I wasn't, you know, I hadn't done the right thing. <clears throat> and certainly I think that uh, expectation played into 2008, four years later, even though I'd had that experience. Um, you know, I, I won the gold medal in the 100 Butterfly on the second day of competition and then all of a sudden I just assumed that I would win the 100 freestyle and the 50 freestyle and that's just what's going to happen because I'm the world record holder. And do you get messages from people back in Australia going, you yeah. it, you're going to nail it. And you know what? I, I was really lucky because at that peak period of time in my swimming career, social media hadn't taken off at that point. So I was shielded on a lot of levels. You can ignore text messages and things like that until after the competition. But it's much more difficult to stay out of social media I think these days these days um and you know people can be ruthless and brutal and you know I, I saw some awful comments towards Emily during um the competition so uh, you know on one level as athletes we do need to learn how to handle that mm -hmm. and put measures into place to make sure that we are creating a zone and a bubble where we're withdrawn from that and those expectations and don't watch the media, don't read the papers, all of those sorts of things. Um, but on some level it's very difficult because there is a certain amount of pressure and expectation that comes with the media. Um, and, you know, sometimes because we are so fiercely critical of ourselves we assume that everyone's disappointed and then yeah. you feel like you're carrying this burden um, and weight of expectations of both the media and Australia. Yeah. <laughs> the people who came to cheer you on. And your family as well yeah. and friends. And which, like, I guess people like me and, and people that get to sit on in the lounge and watch, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't understand that. That's yeah. not something. I mean, the biggest pressure we feel is, oh, we forgot to bring bread home that <laughs> night. Whereas you guys, you know, as you just said, you feel like, you know, if you don't perform, you're letting Australia down. That must be a big... Yeah, and it's a burden that you're carrying at a very young age as well. You know, the first time I competed for Australia was at the age of 18. Um, you know, at the Olympics it was 19. So you, you, you're dealing with these big emotions and these big pressures and expectations at very young ages, which, you know, makes you grow um, and makes you grow up yeah. very quickly. But, yeah, it can be challenging. And I think whether, I, I guess whether we agreed with Emily or not, I found it refreshing that she was able just to speak her mind and totally. say what she thought and not just be robot-controlled and give these... But I think that's what we need yeah. from our athletes. Yeah. Like, all I want... Like, I'm so happy to see athletes that are disappointed. Like, I feel like we went through a stage where it's like we weren't allowing our athletes to be disappointed because, look, why would you... You yeah. shouldn't be disappointed. But 
like I, you know, I've said a few times and certainly in the first episode you touched on, the big emotions that you're going through. You've dedicated your life to this moment, to these situations, to these races. And if you're disappointed because you've come second or you're disappointed because um, you've come fourth or you've missed a final, it's kind of like we weren't allowing our athletes to be disappointed for a long time. So kind of the mentality is that people aren't being genuine with their responses. But all I want is genuine responses yeah. from our athletes. And that, I think, something that Emily has done consistently throughout her career. She's genuine in her responses. And I think if we are going to allow the camera and the microphone to be shoved in your face yeah. as soon as you finish, mm-hmm. then we should just be ready for whatever response comes out. Absolutely. If you're not happy with it, then let them have time to go in the back and exactly. chill and relax. And have a moment. And then come out yeah. and then say, okay, I've... I've collected Pro- myself i've processed it on a little level yeah, I, <laughs> or at I, least caught my breath <laughs> i've seen a few of the um cyclists in the velodrome after their races yeah. and they were just very honest the way they spoke and it was there so was, refreshing yeah there was one particular interview he had he was a favorite and missed the final and i just thought it was such an, a powerful interview just to show how disappointed he was yeah. but not in a in a way that made you f- think less of him yeah and he i i just thought he was amazing Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to start this podcast about swimming is because I love the sport and I feel over time those days of the duel in the pool have become less and less relevant uh, to the greater public. Mm. What do you think we should be doing to try and get back to those glory days where the stands were full? Um, uh, I think trying to expose it to the grassroots level um, as best as we can and to do that we need to make tickets cheaper to nationals. Family passes need to be cheap as you can get, uh, just to allow families to go and watch these incredible athletes. Um, as much as we can get the athletes to go and talk to clubs around the country, um, do clinics in clubs around the country to sort of inspire the next generation. Um, we need to keep broadcasting it uh, live on national television would be awesome because I think that's one of the biggest challenges we faced was when it went to channel one and uh it just went swimming went missing i think on on the sort of sporting calendar uh and in the dream world if we could create uh, a sort of a racing sort of system like america has over with the ncaa's um with the universities uh, i think that exposure to High, uh, um, high stress, high intensity racing under pressure, under training fatigue, year round. Yeah. I think that would be an exceptional thing because, as well, with the college systems over there, they have so many audiences, you know, who go and get exposed yeah, to. It's, very to, big, to, it's it? massive, and I think if we could create that in Australia somehow, um, I think it would not only be great for our athletes but it would be awesome in terms of exposure and and, spectators and and for spectators as well and then they can get to know their athletes i think you know a lot of people don't know the athletes that are and i think the commonwealth games has been awesome for that because we've gotten to know a lot more athletes than just a couple now i want to finish today's chat with a few questions that are a little less serious okay cool so describe your life using a movie title oh gosh hmm (laughs) Um, you told me you read these questions yes i totally did and i totally came up with a really really great title 
Um, <laughs> not Titanic. That would be bad. <laughs> um, that was the first one that pops into my brain. It's terrible. Um, can it be a TV title? It can be, yes. Okay, Unreal. I'm watching Unreal at the moment and I think my life is pretty awesome. So. <laughs> it's better than Titanic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, Very different yes, into the spectrum, yes, isn't it? I like what you took there. Got yourself out of jail. Thank you. What do you think about when you're alone in the car? Um, usually I'm either singing at the top of my lungs. Um, very rarely am I alone in I the car. I was about to say, that as I'm looking, I'm like, yep. actually, is she alone in the car? When I am, I'm, I'm singing at the top of my lungs or working out what I'm going to be eating at the next meal. <laughs> How or where you... I can get my next coffee from. <laughs> <laughs> How do you rate your memory? Terrible. Absolutely shocking. Well, that's good because I have a memory test that we're going to do Oh, now. dear Lord. No, I'm joking. Okay. <laughs> Just joking. People. The budget didn't stretch that far oh, either. You. Can't print off more pages. <laughs> um, all right, so you're on death row and okay. we can speculate later what you've done. Okay. But what's your last meal? Oh, that's easy. Um, hot chips and gravy. Um, with chicken salt and Maltesers. And Maltesers? Yeah. As a, not at the same time, they're dessert after. Dessert, yeah. Okay, You'd have to have dessert, right? Everyone's so. got their own quirks. You might have wanted to mix it in there. I don't know. Um, I'm weird, but I'm not that weird. <laughs> if you're down to your last $10, what do you spend it on? Ooh, good question. And I'm going to say, because obviously you're a mum now, mm. so we're going to take your kids away from it for a second. Okay, cool. Because obviously you look like, you know, yeah. Pretty bad mum if you're not buying baby formula <laughs> baby or something like that. Something for my girls. You've got girls. $10 left. <laughs> that is all. Um, can I have the same answer? Hot chips and gravy and Maltesers? Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what I'm spending on. <laughs> all right, I think we'll wrap it up there. Libby, thank you very much for giving up your time and coming on Off The Blocks podcast over the last two shows. You've been very open and honest and it's been an absolute pleasure and an honour to interview you. I hope you've enjoyed the chat as much as I have. We look forward to catching up again with you next time in the future. But until then, thank you very much for coming on the show. No, thank you so much for having me and good on you for doing it. Thank you. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second minute. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Again. Chavis in the white hats, Vets in the black hats, and Vets is Mullins. I cannot believe it.